books with Aaron and Polly. I'm Aaron. And I'm Polly. This is Wayne. This is Jonathan. Hey guys, welcome back to the show. Big, big week this week. We had Planet Hulk release on DVD. Just Friday night, we had the big Smallville Justice Society Absolute Justice episode. So, yeah. so all kinds of geek stuff this week. Now, I haven't seen Planet Hulk yet, but Paul, have you? I did, and uh, I did post a review on the website. I um, I really liked it. Uh, I, in fact, I, I really recommend uh, checking it out. It's a lot of fun. I, I didn't read the actual Planet Hulk storyline in the comics, mm-hmm. but uh, I enjoyed well, the movie. You should run out and buy that now, then. You know, I should. Well, not now. You should record now and then run out and buy it afterwards. <laughs> I have. I really enjoyed the uh, the Planet Hulk storyline. I, I thought that was probably one of the best Hulk stories I've read in a great big long time. You know, I did too, and I was surprised because when it first started, I was. I remember thinking, Hulk in space. This is going to be bad, and I dropped the book. So I came back to it later once I had uh, the hardback version. Yeah, and I read through the whole thing, and I was like, wow. I missed all of this. Yeah. Well, that's exactly the way I read it. I read it in trade. Um, I didn't read it when it came out in floppies. Because, and largely because I, the Bruce Jones run prior to that was so bad. And I read I read the, the single issue where Hulk fought the, the space robot satellite thing that wound up getting him launched off out of mm-hmm. the solar system. And I hated that story. Yeah, I did too. I mean, I really hated it. And so I was like, screw this. I, I'm, I'm done, you know? Because I had come back to it because I, I had just been disgusted with. Uh, it was Bruce Jones, right? Yes, sir. Had written, yeah. And I just absolutely hated that run. Hated it, hated it, hated it. And um, everyone had spoken so highly of of uh, Planet Hulk. And then I met Greg, Greg Pack at Wizard World. And I was like, huh, you know, and it was one of those kind of moments where the writer really sold me his story, just talking about it and how excited he was about it. And I picked it up and man, I absolutely loved it. Oh, Aaron and Greg talk. <laughs> you know what is going to be a good Hulk storyline? No. Not follow the Hulk. I like follow the Hulk. <laughs> no, no. I, you know, I'm liking it too, but I, I heard an interview on Marvel, I, I think with Greg Pack, right? He's he's the guy. Yeah, yeah. the Hulk guy. Yeah, yeah. It, it's what it's what broke it for me because apparently, Follow the Hulks is all a lead up into a World War Hulk, yeah. right? Yeah. Plural. And so I'm like, so they're not going to fall at all. They're going to fall later on. <laughs> like, yeah. Everything like, does I don't like is just that. to build up to another story. It seems and. I, mean, I really enjoyed Planet Hulk. I enjoyed uh, World War Hulk, and I have not enjoyed anything Hulk since then. I enjoyed World War Hulk all the way up until the ending, and it was—I yeah. I, kind of—it was one of those Civil War kind of moments for me that I loved everything up until the last couple of pages, and I just couldn't stand the way it wrapped up. World War Hulk really could have been like a four-issue series. I think it just went on an issue or two too long. I mean, it just killed the momentum it had at the beginning. You saw everything you wanted to see out of it early on, and that was Hulk beating up everyone. Right. Yeah. Now, I uh, I picked up uh, Fall of the Hulk's Alpha when I was at Dallas Comic-Con last week mm-hmm. for 50 cents. Nice. And I paid too much. <laughs> Wait, which one was <laughs> no. Alpha? Uh, that was the one where Leader and his brain trust or whatever they call go, and they're stealing all the artifacts from around the Marvel Universe. They're the intelligent. Mm-hmm. That intelligentsia. Was, that was the best issue of the entire Fall of the Hulk so far. I liked that one. 
Yeah. Aaron, it was good. And care for it. Oh, I'm sorry. You only You're paid wrong. 50 cents. <laughs> yeah, I was robbed. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, the movie, Planet Hulk, definitely check it out. It is very good, unlike Absolute Justice. Oh, I am so glad you said that. <laughs> I hated that with every fiber of my being. I, I thought about turning it off about half hour in. Wow. I, I really thought about turning it off. I'm like, I don't care how many stupid cameos they put in this. It sucks. I thought about turning it off 15 minutes in, and I was like, you know, maybe it's going to get better. Maybe it's going to get better. And wow, that thing sucked so hard. <laughs> I don't feel as strongly as either of you do about it, apparently. It had, it definitely had its down points. It was not a strong, cohesive story at all, but I enjoyed Stargirl about halfway through. I hated her in the, in the first half of the episode. Uh, I absolutely hated the mask they put on her. Her costume, I thought, looked pretty good when she wasn't wearing the mask. I hated Stargirl in the, for the first half. About halfway through, I started to really like the character, though, which is, you know, I love her in the comic book, so it was really annoying that I hated her in the beginning of this. Yeah. Her costume was horrible. I mean, it looked good when she didn't have the mask on. Yeah. But the mask looked really, really bad. Without the mask, it was great. When she was just in street clothes, it was good. The costume itself looked great when she wasn't wearing the mask, but the mask really, just really destroyed it. Yeah. So what you're saying is Stargirl looked better without clothing. <laughs> <laughs> if only. Well, my the costumes were really good, though. I was impressed by how they made some of them look. Hawkman was iffy, but Doctor Fate looked good. Stargirl, when she didn't have the, you know, when she didn't have the mask on, looked good. Sandman looked good. Yeah, for all you got to see of him. Yeah. So I, I'm kind of like with you. I, I liked Stargirl when she wasn't wearing the mask. But I, one of the things that I find so charming about the Stargirl character in the book is that she has braces. And yeah, I kind of wish that, that sh- they had done that and shown that she is extremely young. One of the big things about her is a bit of the, the hero worship. I mean, she's yeah. on the team. She's been around for a while. But these are guys that she looks up to, and we didn't get any of that until about halfway into it. And I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't start liking the character until about halfway in. Well, Well, and sorry, go ahead. You go ahead, Paul. Well, and I I have to say this. Dr. Fate was a midget. Yeah. Every time he stood by someone, I was like, is he three feet tall? Well, and I was like, you know, you know Stargirl is short, and they're about the same height. It just it took me out of the moment every time you know Clark would walk around in his shirt and tie and Doctor Fate is in his big majestic costume and he's like a foot and a half shorter than Clark Kent. <laughs> yeah, he's a member of the Lollipop Guild. You know, I mean, it, it, what did you think about actually seeing Martian Manhunter as a Martian this time? Because it's the first time we've actually seen that in the in the show, as far as I know. I thought that was kind of cool. Now, I I haven't watched I haven't watched Smallville regularly since season two. And so, I mean, a lot of, you know, him being in Metropolis now and all that kind of fun stuff is, is, is new to me. My biggest issues with the show are the same issues that I had with the show. The reason why I left it was that him running around and doing all this super stuff in his plain clothes just seems like, you know, you're going to get found out by everyone. <laughs> you know? <laughs> oh, no. Didn't you see him wearing the black trench coat? That's his costume now. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, there were so many problems with the episode, but it was aggravating because it was two freaking hours of buildup, about 45 minutes of which was them talking in the same room. 
yeah. the Justice Society, you know, um, table room. Yeah. To build up to, of all characters, Icicle. Yeah. And the fight lasted all of five seconds. Oh, and it was the worst damn fight I've ever seen. It, it was. You know what so fight I did enjoy though? It was the earlier one between uh, Icicle and Star Girl. Because I'm watching, I'm like, wow, they actually have characters in costume fighting on this show. Yeah. I've never seen that before here. Well, I will say that uh, Steve Corbin kicking my ass in seventh grade gym class was a lot more entertaining than uh, than watching that fight scene. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I, you know, and maybe it's just because I've gotten used to them not having costumes in Smallville. And when they go full costume, you never go full costume. Um, <laughs> when they went full costume, I was like... This is like the Power Rangers. And maybe I wouldn't have been so upset about it if the special effects hadn't been so bad. Oh, they were terrible. I don't know. I mean, you know, they had all these weird camera angles and it was just it was just cheesy bad. And the acting was atrocious. Oh, like a porn. You know, but <laughs> I, I've I've seen better cinematography in a porn because at least yeah. you get to see what you want to see. And what I don't get is why they hired actors to play Alan Scott and Jay Garrick and then they don't actually put them in the episode. Right? Yeah. They have they have their you know without their costume why not bring them in well and I was hoping to see Wildcat you know oh good they're gonna bring Wildcat in because you know I thought that would be cool I like the way he's done both the the, the Justice League cartoons as well as in strangely enough uh, Batman Brave and the Bold you know I like that character and you know nothing you know it goes back to another frustration I have with that show they have a Flash they have Cyborg they have a couple other characters in their essential league that are never on the show. They talk about them. They talk about, you know, how they, they are a team and they have a hard time getting together. And then they never actually have those characters. Yeah. I don't know if it's a licensing issue or if it's an actor issue or what. I'm sure it's an expense issue. I mean, they've got this thing on Friday nights. When they were talking about getting uh, backup, I was expecting them to maybe see Flash, maybe see a team up, you know, like a JLA and JSA team up. And instead, we get a powerless Martian Manhunter. Well, and I knew I was i was really going to dislike the rest of the show that when the first time Green Arrow shows up, he's doing all these like backflips and side flips and cartwheels and whatnot <laughs> off the rooftop. And I'm like, okay, it didn't need to be that. Yeah. You know, and I'll <laughs> yeah. say Green, Lan- Green Arrow is probably my favorite part of the show. But his costume sucks. I just like yeah. the actor. You know, he does a good job. You know, and well, you know, I mean, I guess I should say Lois Lane is my favorite part of the show. Um, just because she's, yeah, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, I just, this episode, I just, I couldn't get into it. It was so different than their usual episode. They started just throwing crap out that didn't make any sense, like checkmate and you know, and don't get me wrong. I was happy at the end because they mentioned apocalypse. Yeah. And I was like, Ooh, Ooh, apocalypse is going to be in there. (laughs) 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 But you know, then I was like, well, I don't know if I want to see apocalypse on this show because this episode was so freaking bad. I don't want them to screw up dark side and have him like, you know, you have the Martian manhunter and they try to make his outfit look like his costume. So his gun belt, you know, it's the little red X on his chest. Yeah. Yeah. I I just died laughing at that. Well, and it, it is startling to me. I mean, I think it takes an, an epic amount of energy, resources, and talent to make Pam Greer seem as uncool as they made Pam Greer seem. My wife had to calm me down at one point because I'm watching it, and uh, Clark gives his speech about how, you know, I, I haven't given up. And I just start ranting, you gave up every single season at least once. <laughs> you keep walking away. What do you mean you haven't given up? 
I, I'm just going to say that the show was so terrible, I didn't even turn it on. <laughs> <laughs> I was really looking forward to it, and I went to a wine fest just to get ready for it. <laughs> I was like, maybe wine, maybe wine. But no, wine didn't even help. Well, you know, the, the, the only thing positive I'll say about it is that I really like the actor who played Hawkman. I just couldn't stand him when he was wearing his Hawkman uh, get up because he was doing the I'm going to talk all gravelly and whatnot like Batman. Yeah, I didn't like the voice at all. I was like, why does his voice have to change? Well, and honestly, (laughs) the costume in the comics is stupid. The costume in the show was even stupider. Oh, yeah. The wings looked ridiculous. The The helmet looked ridiculous, too. Yeah. But, I mean, the actor was good, you know, and I'd watch a show with him that didn't involve the costume, I guess. Yeah. But I guess See, then I he's not I'd say it looks stupider. I would say it's about equally as stupid as the one in the comics. Yeah. Because they're both pretty bad. <laughs> they are. They are. You know, I just, it was a bad, bad episode. Some people yeah. loved it. I just, I hated it. And uh, I'm sorry to say that because, you know. Well, and I was I was watching on Twitter last night because you know all these DC writers that I follow were sending uh, you know congratulations and whatnot to Jeff Johns about what a great episode, and I'm like, wow, none of your friends are telling you the truth. <laughs> all all of your friends and colleagues are just blowing smoke up your ass because that thing sucked. Now you know I have no idea what the original script looked like, but what what aired last night on the CW was awful. Yeah, sorry, Jeff Johns. We do like you. Oh, Even yeah. though we're not going to talk about Blackest Night today. Well, and, you know, we were going to go all on Blackest Night the Question, but we were so disgusted by your performance in Absolute Justice that uh, <laughs> we've had to cut it from the show. Yes, we're getting, so. we're getting our justice today. <laughs> I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting my justice because I believe this is the first funny books with no Blackest Night update. Yeah, and you know what? Making history right here. (laughs) We are jumping straight into our Siege update with the big book of the week, Siege number two. You know, uh, this was an awfully darn good book. Yeah, it didn't have all of the errors that the first issue had. Did you see the apology for the first issue at the end of it? Yes. It just pissed me off. That's all it did. (laughs) the, The apology just pissed me off all over again. Yeah. I mean, and don't get me wrong, there were grammatical errors... <laughs> on that first page, but uh-huh. uh, they weren't as bad and as obvious as on the first issue. Yeah, you know, one thing I'll say about this book, um, you know, it, it is an extended large fight scene, you know, continuing throughout the book, but it's done right. It's interesting. There are, there are story elements that are occurring during the fight scene. You're seeing fights, you know, that look interesting beyond just throwing people around. I really like how it just looks like a war zone, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I I really dug this book. I I, I enjoyed it. I uh, was pleased that we got to see Heimdall show up, you know, because that, that was that has been my big question is you know Heimdall is the the, the guardian of Asgard. He is the, he's the one who stands at the bridge and makes sure that none of this kind of crap happens. So it was nice to see him show up with a big old bloody eye. <laughs> you know, and you know, it looks like he's been been beat down. And I know uh, Kieran Gillen said we're going to see some of you know what happened to Heimdall later on. The Thor uh, issues, yeah, yeah. But uh, you know, this uh, th- th- this was a nice page to see, and I I liked that they didn't blow a lot of time having to convince Ares of the truth of what's going on. Yeah, I like that. That was basically like an eye opener for him, and then he 
kind of woke up. Yeah, and look at the an eye opener is is is, is, a, is a good phrase because look at that page. He there are four panels of him just thinking, you know, mm-hmm. you know, and looking over and seeing all that crap, and then he just gets it. And Copiel just does a masterful job with portraying the acting of those characters. You know, you can see what's going on in Aries' mind. Uh, you can see him measuring and, you know, crap. <laughs> I, I, I think those four panels are just masterful. And his death was jaw-dropping. I did not see that coming at all. Yeah, that was, that was huge. Well, I have two comments to say. <clears throat> and yeah, because... Wayne already said it. Spoiler warnings. <laughs> Retroactively wrong. <laughs> okay. You can't talk about this and not talk about that. Oh, I know. I, I, know. I, I was hoping we would get to there were There were two kind of deaths in this issue, I guess. Uh-huh. Because there was Ares, right? There was the, the last page with Dark Wolverine getting burnt to a crisp. Right. Now... Uh, he's not dead. Well, that's my thing. Ares... Kind of his mythology involves his death. He's died before. Right. That was kind of his thing. He dies. And Dark Wolverine has a healing factor. So, I mean, is Ares really dead? I no. mean, I, I, I don't know if that's... I mean, it's a cool scene. I just don't... It lost a little of its impact to me because I read Secret Warriors. And right. in the last storyline, they showed, you know, that's kind of his thing. He dies. Well, and I mean, we've seen... You know, and if the uh, Greek gods are anything like the Asgardian gods, we know that they they very easily come back from death. You know, because they're gods. Immortal. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, you just got to put all their pieces back together, like they did with Kelda in in Thor. You know, they just got to go find her heart. <laughs> so you know, as long as somebody's got uh, you know a mop and a bucket. <laughs> <laughs> You know, the whole point of this, though, is just to build spec- or build uh, Sentry up as a bigger bad guy. Yeah. yeah. yeah I, I, that, that, that page is stunning. Just stunning. Yeah. Yeah. I think we are definitely wow. going to see the resolution of the Sentry stuff in this storyline. No. He's, he's, he's gone too far to not to, – to, to be redeemed at this point. Yeah. You know, he's either going to die or he's going to turn into Superboy Prime and they're going to put him in a prison, you know, and yeah. he'll escape in the next crossover or some crap. But I mean, yeah. he's walking around with Void Tendril sticking out his side now. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I just I, I love that uh, uh, even Spawn is a little startled by what happened. You know, you're, you're, you're looking at it, you know, everybody's re- re- reaction to it. And, and even Spawn's like, oh, well, OK, I guess we're doing that now. <laughs> Wait, who's Spawn? <laughs> Spawn isn't that isn't that uh, the black suit Spider-Man guy? Venom. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm, I apologize. Venom. They're <laughs> the same like, character. <laughs> <laughs> I was I like, apologize. we're not talking about Image United, Aaron. <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. <laughs> Spawn. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> I know my comics. <laughs> it's like there's Spawn, there's Skeletor. That's right. That's right. <laughs> No, but yeah, I mean, you know, even even uh, Venom is is having that kind of you know crap kind of reaction. No, on the note of the Sentry, did you, uh, did you guys read the uh, issue of the Dark Avengers where they go into who the Sentry really is? Yes, I did not. Okay, I I thought that issue really painted him as a bad guy before. Siege. Yeah, uh, and it was the the most recent issue of Dark Avengers actually, and. Um, it, while you're still going to hate the century, it's still worth checking out. Um, but you know, I mean, there was there was, uh, you know, I, I liked that, and I still don't like the century. 
there, there were some cool moments in this book, but some confusing moments for me. Okay. Such as? Such as Bucky saying, here, you have the shield. It's like, wait, didn't we just have who will wield the shield? And Cap said, here, Bucky, <laughs> yeah, you have the shield. And now Bucky's yeah. like, no, you have it. Paulie, Paul, that was different. <laughs> <laughs> now it's now it's Siege. Like, something big's happened. Now Bucky wants to, well, pass the buck. Yeah, right. I'm, I'm not holding uh, this thing. You take this. Yeah. No, They're going to shoot at yeah. you. This is a target. I'll take the gun. <laughs> The confusing thing for me, and I think it's because I don't read uh, Secret Warriors, was I have no idea who that little kid is. Phobos, the one that Fury saw. Oh, that kid's to? awesome. Yeah, that, could, that is the god That's of fear. That, that is Ares' son, the one who killed Ares. <laughs> you know, that I was referring to Ares' thing is kind of he dies. His son killed him previously as kind of a rite of passage. So he's the god wow. of fear. Yeah, there's – um, I, I would say if you don't read Secret Warriors, you're not going to know who – a third of the characters are on that big splash page with Captain America talking to people. Yeah. Because you've got the new Avengers, you've got the young Avengers, and you've got the Secret Warriors, but you don't have the Mighty Avengers, which is a little weird. But I kind of got the impression that Jarvis's um, suitcase has to do with Hank Pym. Because Jarvis is a I member just, of the Mighty Avengers. I assumed it was an Iron Man armor. Same here. Because, you know, Tony Stark used, yeah, to, same here. used to carry his armor around in the suitcase. Uh, yeah. I assume it's a, here you go, when Tony wakes up, give him this. Yeah. You know what, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. So then it begs the question, where are the Mighty Avengers? Well, I, I was upset with the splash page in general because I was like, really? Like, if they want to have this epic splash page of all these heroes they're gathering, these are the ones that they pick? Yeah, sitting on a couch really? in, a, <laughs> in, a, in a living room. You know, the first issue had, and I guess that's the point, you know, it shows the big warehouse full of villains compared to the living room full of heroes. Nick Fury's the only one sitting down. Who's left in the Mighty Avengers that we haven't seen here? Because last time I read Mighty Avengers, it was uh, Ares and Miss Marvel and all of them, and they've uh, been in series. Yeah, the current new... Uh, no, the Mighty Avengers are completely different yeah, now. Um, they're headed up by Hank Pym. Now, two of them are here, Stature and The Vision, which kind of is weird. Because, I get, yeah, I get they're in the, they're in the Young Avengers as well. But they're kind of full-time with the Mighty Avengers right now. Right. Um, but, you know, you've got Hank Pym, uh, Hercules, and Amadeus Cho. Who else is there, Jonathan? Who's that Captain America ripoff? U.S. agent. Oh, but he got yeah. taken off the grid by Norman Osborn in the last issue. Oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Um, you, uh, Quicksilver. Yeah, Quicksilver. Yeah, so I'm, I'm – and I know they have a Mighty Avengers tie-in, so maybe that's just in the next issue or something. So what did you guys think of the last page of the shield coming towards – Osborne. I thought that was a neat little touch. I really dug that. I th- I thought it was, but dragged out a little too much. I'm left sitting there staring at it thinking, okay, why doesn't he just move? He's looking at it. He's got plenty of time. Shield's coming. And <laughs> right, it's like there. Austin Powers where he's standing in front of the, <laughs> the crane. The steamroller? Yeah. yeah the ah! <laughs> did you uh, – did you read this issue, Wayne? Like, it, if this issue proves anything, it's that Norman Osborn is not good at dodging income. <laughs> <laughs> I really think Sentry's going to be the big villain of this. I mean, they're going to build up everything with Osborn. They're going to take him down. And I think after Osborn falls, they're going to have to deal with Sentry. Yeah, They absolutely. may do it the other way around. They may, ha- they may deal with Sentry first and then have Osborn taken out. But I wouldn't be surprised if Sentry isn't resolved uh, in Siege. Yeah. Well, I, mean, I, would, I can't imagine that the that you know Thor lets that crap go for too long. Yeah, I mean, I I really think you know I think Wayne might be onto something. I think Osborn will be taken down in issue three. 
uh-huh. and issue four will be Sentry. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I would venture to guess. Hopefully. Now, uh, on, on an unrelated note, did you guys see the ad for X-Men Second Coming? Yes. I, I did. did. Are, are you guys pumped? Oh, my God. I saw that ad. I was just like, oh, I didn't know that was what Second Coming, uh, one of the issues in it. Because I just thought it was like Hope coming mm-hmm. back. But you see Emma Frost, Cyclops, and Magneto. It's like one will lead. I'm like, oh, this is going to be awesome. <laughs> you know, I'm looking forward to it. But one thing, I, I don't like the, the art in that ad. But have you seen the cover art for Second Coming Number 1 by Adi Granov? I have not. Oh, it's beautiful. No. It is beautiful. If they made a poster of it, I would put it up on my wall. It is absolutely beautiful. I wish they would use that for the promo art instead of th- this art, because I really don't dig this art. Okay, speaking of art, I want to diverge for just a moment. Marvel has a, a an art shop on their site where you can go and buy prints of some of their famous covers and whatnot. And they have got the worst selection of cover art there in their print shop than, than you would ever expect. Because, you know, Marvel employs some of the, the finest artists in the world that are doing comics, both today and over the past 50 years. And these images suck. You know, I was like, ah, I might go get a print and, you know, if I can find a, a really cool X-Men print or something, have it framed, put it in my office. And I mean, I could not find a single thing that, that was worth looking at. Oh, what, what, what they have up there, the, uh, the cover for amazing Spider-Man when Deadpool was in it, <laughs> that horrible, horrible cover. Probably. So I think what you're saying there, Aaron is, uh, Hey Marvel, if you're listening and you want to hire someone to tell you what covers you should put up there, I'm that guy. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But you know what? I will tell you this for free. You make an X-Men Second Coming poster, I will buy it, Marvel. Great. Thanks for undercutting my my, my bid there for a new job. Whatever. I appreciate it. I will do that for No, no. Your day will come. Your day will come. You can can hire me instead. I work cheaper than him. (laughs) (laughs) You know, speaking of covers, what did you guys think of the Siege cover? Because going into it before reading the story, this cover didn't make a lot of sense to me. It seemed... Extra cryptic having Sentry there holding a skull. Yeah. And then after reading it, it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. I actually like the cover. Yeah, I do too. Yeah, Yeah, I I loved it either way because I don't have the uh, beef that some people have with the Sentry. Just come out, Jonathan. Jonathan, You can just come out and say it. You can say you don't have the beef with the Sentry that Aaron, Paul, and Wayne have. Yeah. I. (laughs) Whatever. I'll 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 say it right here. I like the Sentry. Yeah. You like his girly hair. I liked the Sentry's original miniseries. I thought it was really good. It wrapped up nicely, and the character should have never come back. But they brought him I back. I think it's important for him to be here so that this is, to me, this is how Superman should have been done. <laughs> if Superman was a cool character. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, I, well, I, I will agree. I, I will agree. This is my favorite usage of the Sentry character. I have just not cared for any time where he's the center of the show and we're getting to hear about his, you know, personal drama and whatnot. But where he's just a, a, a guy who is out there doing, you know, bad stuff, absolutely, I find him interesting. Well, and that, that's what the, what I was talking about with the Dark Avengers thing is what you really find out about the Sentry is he is just a guy yeah. and he's not a hero. Yeah, it's it's definitely worth I, I thought that was great. Yeah. Well, sticking with the Siege topic... It looks like only Aaron and I read Siege Embedded Number 2. 
Now, but, I know, Wayne, that was by choice. Jonathan, was it just a, a sellout issue at your shop? You know, I don't know. I, I didn't realize that I didn't have it until I got home. And uh, so I don't know if it was because of the transportation debacle or if it did sell out or my comic book guy just didn't get it. Yeah. For me, I like. I don't. I mean, know. my local comic shop did sell out of it. I had to go to a different comic shop to get it, which was, but I, they had Siege number two, which was a little weird to me. But so Siege embedded number two, um, you know, it, it, it's pretty obvious now that this is going to be Ben Urick, that other dude, and Volstag, and their road trip back to uh, Asgard. What'd you think, Aaron? <clears throat> there were parts of the book that I enjoyed. You know, I, I enjoyed you know Volstag getting a you know getting answering the uh, Cosmo questionnaire. <laughs> I thought that was amusing. Um, but there was a lot to dislike about the book in that it just it never advanced beyond where it was in the first issue. I thought the story was going to be about covering Siege. I didn't realize, and you know, maybe it's just branding and marketing and whatnot, but you know, this is really more about their road trip to get to Siege. And, you know, I... When you say siege embedded, you think that these guys are embedded with, you know, the, the, the war effort so that you can see what's going on on the ground and, you know, from a different perspective. Um, that's not what you get here. I mean, these guys are, are 50 miles outside of Oklahoma City by the end of the, the issue, and we're halfway through this miniseries. Yeah. Um, and I take particular issue with, you know, you've got these two hammer agents that have taken uh, Ben Urick and his cameraman into custody. And they fake sick, one of the guys fakes sick, and manages to kick a helmeted man in the head and, you know, render him unconscious, immobile. They're both in handcuffs. Ben Urick, who, you know, is your original 80-pound weakling, <laughs> you know. Um, I, I just have a real problem with, you know, they got over two armed, uniformed, helmeted and geared hammer agents like that. That was bad writing. Yeah, I mean, I didn't hate the issue. I, I, I thought it was, you know, there are a couple of issues I have with it. I, I kind of like some of the ideas behind it. I think mm -hmm. it's a little lighthearted. Yeah. Um, considering it involves Volstagg, who, you know, while he may not have been the direct cause, he was involved with the death of thousands upon thousands of people in that stadium in Siege Number right. 1. And in this issue, he's answering Cosmo questions and eating pork rinds. Yeah. And it's all funny and happy. But, you know, at the same time, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. Maybe, you know, maybe I just should enjoy it for what it is. It just seems a little lighthearted compared to the reason it exists. Well, <laughs> um, well it, it sounds to me like it's just a coming-of-age comic. Yeah. You know, road trip. It's like Catcher in the Rye. Catcher yeah. in the Rye Volstagg style. <laughs> well, really bad art. Well, and the art doesn't bother me. I mean, it's very, it's very moody, you know. Um, yeah. The art doesn't bother me one little bit. I, in fact, there, there's some of the pages I really enjoy. Um, the image where Volstag has, you know, grabbed one of those goblin flyers and is up there having a, you know, a midair sword fight on a goblin flyer was pretty cool. I, I, I thought that was a neat image. Um, I'd like to see his goblin flyer struggling a little bit more with moving him around, <laughs> you know, because Volstagg, big guy. Yeah. Um, I, I, <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed 
you know, some of the, the humor, but again, I do, there, there might be a little bit of it being misplaced, you know, bearing in mind how many people died um, in the conflict that Volstagg was involved in, like Paul was saying. And, I mean, you kind of assume, based on the blood and whatnot that you see thrown around when Volstagg starts hacking into these guys, these hammer agents are dying too. Yeah. You know? The the biggest issue with it is really that it doesn't move the story forward yeah. um, any more than Siege Number 1, which kind of is the same issue I had with our next Siege-related book, which is Invincible Iron Man number 23, which, don't get me wrong, I, I have loved this book since I started picking it up. Um, we have an interview with Matt Fraction coming up. I I, I love his writing. Um, this book deserves the Eisner Award at one. Um, but this storyline, uh, Stark Disassembled, I, I feel like I've read four issues of the same thing. That's actually my issue with it, too, is... You know, I enjoy the storyline. I enjoy his traveling back to waking up, essentially. But it's lasting too long. Well, and bear in mind, I only came in at issue 22. And I was ready for issue 23 to move a little farther along. In fact, when there's a, what are you, three pages in, and there's the big sparkly light, and Tony Stark has a little bit of a revelation. And I'm like, oh, good, so he's back to being good. We're good to go now. No. <laughs> <laughs> And really, the, the the thing that I enjoyed about this book was the conversation between what's her name, Maria Hill, and Pepper Potts. Yeah, yes. You know, I thought those pages were really standout pages, but the rest of it, I was rather bored in. I mean, don't get me wrong. This all four issues so far have been great character studies of the characters in the Tony Stark universe, mm-hmm. um, but at the same time, it hasn't been, you know, there. That's all it's been. You know, there, there hasn't been much to move the story forward. You know, you had this great big splash page at the end of the second issue with them reigniting Tony Stark, um, you know, using Thor's hammer and Cap's shield. And, you know, oh, Tony Stark's back. No, he's really not. And we're going to talk a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more. Yeah. Um, I just want to walk oh, into that room and now. shake him and say, wake up. Yeah. Wake up. All right. But you know that. If it was like they did that scene and then he's back, he's suiting up in his Iron Man suit, it would have been like, really? That that just seemed too easy. I don't know. I, I would have been okay with it because it was so cool looking. Um, but I just – I don't get me wrong. It, like I said, I, I, I like this storyline. It just – it feels like it's taking too long to get there. And we only have one more issue. So, you know, it, 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 there was finally a little bit of buildup at the end of this issue. I just think maybe this issue and last issue, there was a, enough there to combine these into one issue and make this a four-issue storyline instead of a five. Um, but I will say, yeah, one thing I did like is that Follow the Hulk's ad in the middle of the book. Oh, yeah. I thought that was really cool looking. Very pretty art. It is pretty. I won't be buying it, but it's very pretty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Well, we don't need you to buy it. <laughs> Well, I mean, I suppose if I can find it for 50 cents or less, you know, I might pick it up. But, yeah, for uh, the trade paperback. Aaron, you're going to be too busy reading Red Robin no, no. to pick up. No, uh, I'm not a Red Robin that. guy. No, but That's... Wayne and I are. Yes, you are. That's right. <laughs> but, you know. Aaron's a closet Red Robin <laughs> he guy. Is. He doesn't talk about it on the show, but we all know he reads it. My secret shame. It's on his pull list. Yeah. Um, but, you know, speaking of Red Robin, that did come out this week. And uh, you sound excited. No, you know. The, uh, well, okay. I will say one thing. A little, just because continuing in my saga 
of being lied to by the comic companies. The cover of this says it's written by Chris Yost mm-hmm. and with art by Ramon Box. And I'm like, shit, he came back? Well, no. I don't know how his name got on the cover because it's Marcus Toe art inside. So I don't know how Ramon Box got his name on the cover because he has nothing to do with the issue. But this book gets better and better with every issue. It, it really does. What I particularly like this time is they're dealing with the fact that he has the stupidest costume in comics. Mm-hmm. He's making fun of his own costume. He's talk- talking about how Superboy asks him if he's wearing the costume as a punishment for himself. And they take every opportunity they can through this entire book to show him having the mask pulled back. So in costume without the mask on because the mask is just stupid. Yeah, I, I you know, there was – if you liked the Adventure Comics issue with Superboy and Red Robin – You'll like this issue. You know, it's got a follow-up to that conversation. You know, it's got a lot of great character stuff with Red Robin. He's he's come out of his funk. He's trying to figure out who to tell that he knows Bruce Wayne is alive. Um, there's there's really some great character moments in here. A little bit of action. Uh, you you know, know what I disliked most about it, though? And this may be surprising, but the last page with Batgirl. <laughs> yes, the this does lead really into the... Bat- Oh, go ahead. The art was really bad on that page. I didn't like how she looked at all. The dialogue was horrible that she, you know, that she says there. And I mean, you guys know I like the character, but this was bad. This doesn't give me much hope for the crossover. I, I don't like how they're writing her here, or in her own book, for that matter. Well, maybe she's just a crappy character. <laughs> I think I like her better as spoiler. Yeah, I, 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 I saw that. Last page, I was like, oh, man, we're already on the crossover? <laughs> I was hoping for another issue or two. Um, but up in, you know, but I did really like Red Robin number nine. I really did. I think it is a good, fun comic book, which is not the way this series started at all. I'm not buying it. <laughs> you mean you're not buying it twice? <laughs> While we were disappointed in the appearance of the Justice Society in this week's Smallville Absolute Justice episode, Justice Society of America Annual Number 2, which teams up both of the Justice Society teams, Justice Society of America and JSA All-Stars, actually kind of moves the story forward a little bit. Um, I have the same problem with it that I have with most of the big JSA one-shots or annuals. Mm-hmm. Essentially, it's a big fight with a whole lot of characters on the page, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, but you don't get some of the character development that you normally do in some of the regular JSA issues. It may not be a bad thing that they're splitting the group in two so they can focus on some of these, but I was ecstatic to see Magog kicked off the team. Same here. This whole book has that written all over it, that this is going to be Magog's last hurrah with uh, the All-Stars. And I was thrilled to death to see him go. And, you know, it does seem like we're, we're moving a little bit closer to branding him as a villain as opposed to keeping him as a hero. You know, he looks like he's going to be teetering on that edge a little bit. And I'm much more comfortable with him being a villain than I am a hero. You know, he looks like somebody that you want to beat the crap out of. So by all means, let's push him over to the dark side as quickly as we can. I am also a huge Alan Scott fan, and this is a big book for him. Yeah. He has a spotlight a lot. There's this epic page where he's just kind of floating there 
with this yeah. angry look on his face when he's getting ready to confront Magog. Yeah. I really like the getting a chance to focus on some of the older JSA members. Him and Jay Garrick are my two favorite team members besides Stargirl, who's just hot. <laughs> well, you know, I saw Matt Sturgis at uh, Dallas Comic-Con last week, and I asked him, I said, uh, you know, there's all this tension and whatnot between Magog and Power Girl. When are they going to kiss? <laughs> and he said, he said, well, um, read the annual. <laughs> Now, there is one panel, Wayne, I want to draw your attention to, and it's about three pages in. And it's where uh, Power Girl is fussing at, uh, at Magog. And on the fourth panel, it's the one that's across from the Mass Effect 2 okay. uh, ad. And, you know, she's like, you know, the priority alert went off over at JSA, yada, yada. And she's pointing and she's saying, perhaps you'd like to try explaining all of this to them. And it looks like she's pointing to her boob. I don't think there's any explanation needed for those. <laughs> I think you need to explain it to the boobs. <laughs> that tickled me when I read it at 4.30 this morning. So, <laughs> and At least in this issue, she manages to keep her clothes on. She which did. Is more than we can say for the, every issue of JSA All-Star so far. That's right. And I think they all kept their clothes on this time. I, it felt like the story was stretched a little too much to me. I don't feel like it needed to occupy all these pages with what they did, but you know that's my problem with a lot of JSA. So I I love JSA as a title, mm-hmm. but some of their storylines seem to last too long. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad re- reading them in like trade or something. Yeah, but like the whole Gog thing when they brought him in, I thought that lasted too long. Yeah, yeah, that was about twenty issues too long. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, wow, it was only about eight issues, and it was already twenty issues too long. <laughs> Well, you know, I, 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 dig that cover, though. Uh, that's a Freddie Williams cover. Mm-hmm. I, I think that's just an awesome cover on this book. Well, you know, while we're on the subject of things that last a little long... Are we talking about my performance? Besides that. I know you're not talking about me, then. <laughs> <laughs> other than the obvious. <laughs> other than this episode. I, I'm sorry, Jonathan, because I, I do like it. Paul... Paul, I I know you are not about to bash Book of the Year 2009. I am about to. I'm not going to bash. Oops, sorry. See, that's what you get. That's cable calling you right now. (laughs) Stop right now what you're about to do. I got to say it. I got to say it. This is 23 issues of the same storyline that the book started with. He's still on the run from Bishop. He's still bouncing back and forth in time. The only difference is that Hope gets older looking, but everyone else stays the same. You know, and I'm really enjoying it, but I didn't read the 21 issues leading up to it. I only started with either 21 or 22. So for me, this is all still just a couple, you know, a couple issue story. Uh, Don't get me wrong. I do like it. I really do. It just, I was like, come on, seriously, again? Maybe it's just me. Because Jonathan likes it, you're not reading the book for what its what its purpose is. Like the whole Bishop Cable thing is like, you know, eh, you know, it's it's all about it's all about the the character development of hope. Yeah, I know. See, to me, when Don't I'm reading, it, I'm only a couple pages. Yeah, you know, I'm only a couple issues in, so I haven't had a lot of the character development earlier on. I'm reading it like an action movie. This is the typical chase action movie, going from one action scene to the next. And I'm enjoying it for that. Yeah, I just right. Uh, yeah, well, I, I, I think that I think that like both uh, you, Paul, and you, Wayne, are are coming in at different different angles on on this book. Where 
if you're with it the whole way, you really you're really getting the the big picture. Well, because but I'm enjoying like, Wayne, Wayne's right, coming right? in. Yes, <laughs> Wayne, you're you're coming in, and and Hope's already seventeen years old. You could tell she's a badass. Yeah, like all all of that developed over time. Like I went back and I I picked up, uh, you know, the tr- the trades of cable to get myself uh, caught up, and it. I'd say the worst stuff in this book is when she's a baby. Like the the, the original stuff. Uh, you know that first trade was hard to read. It took me a long time to get through it because I'm like, Hope's a baby, so she can't do anything. So it really is just the Bishop Cable chase. Really, when has the story where a hero's been carrying a baby around ever turned out very good? I just keep thinking back to I have this vision of Cable with the backpack on, like Nomad used to wear. Nice, with a little Hope baby in the back. <laughs> Nomad. <laughs> I, I, again, I do like it. I do like it. It just it, it feels like every time I pick up the book, it's the same story. I, I'm I'm I know what it's building up to, and I, I'm looking forward to to the ultimate resolution of this storyline. And I, I would say the uh, the two main points to take out of this book is uh, is that Hope's got a foul foul mouth, <laughs> and. Uh, <laughs> That, uh, you know, that, uh, the girl who shows yeah, up. Yeah, the blonde girl? Um, yeah, she's, she's from the first trade when Hope was a baby. And at the, at the point in the book where he can only save Hope or her and he lets her die, like that, I thought that was, that was important to the story. I thought so too. I, I think he just prefers redheads. now one thing i do want to say about the book yeah a little bit is i don't know i haven't read miss marvel regularly in a long time but the ad for miss marvel number 50 the the final battle with mystique i might actually have to pick up that issue it's kind of funny you're mentioning ads because in the back the ultimates new ultimates ad got me wanting to pick up new ultimates (laughs) did it really Oh, I, that convinced me not to buy new Ultimates. <laughs> as much as I hated the Ultimate Avengers, I see potential in this. It could go really bad, but I see about as much potential as I do in that picture of Spider-Man that we we talked about last week <laughs> or two weeks ago. Well, back back to back to a uh, an ad for a book that's going to be good. Uh, the Miss Marvel number fifty. <laughs> False. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I say pick it up. You've got nothing to lose, seeing as it's going to be the last issue of Miss Marvel. Yeah, which you know, I I really loved the book when it first started, and just when I cut back, you know, it kind of got the shaft. But I, I like the character. I, I think ultimately, when I have some extra money, I'll probably pick up the entire run in trades. Um, but I, I think I will pick up issue fifty when it comes out. I I always enjoy when Miss Marvel gets the shaft. <laughs> <laughs> But, well, uh, and and Wayne, I'm kind of right there with you on on New Ultimates. That Frank Cho artwork just looks hot, but the Jeff Loeb name next to it will <laughs> keep me from picking it up. Well, you know, before we I get said, to, I see potential, but I'm a glutton for punishment sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, we're talking about Jeff Loeb, and I I I I I sound like Ozzy Osbourne right now. Um, <laughs> But Ultimate X number one came out this week, written by Jeff Loeb, with which is not the reason I picked it up. I picked it up because of the Art Adams art. But uh, this is the 
I guess, bringing the X-Men back together in the Ultimate Universe, or a new X-Team. And I know Wayne read it with me. Well, not yep. with me. We, we did it on Skype. We did it, you know, a, a, a video conference call. There was candlelight and romantic music in the background. There was. There was. You and know? then you cybered the shit out of him after that. Right? <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, uncomfortable. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I kind of felt like that had happened after I read this book. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> everything good I had to say about Ultimate Enemy last week. This is the opposite of all of that. This book is in the the art by Art Adams is great. I mean, don't get me wrong, Art Adams. You can't go wrong with Art Adams. They put the worst possible book to put him on. He, you know, if if Art Adams was yeah, but saying uh, saying that that the Ultimate books have good art is like saying birds have wings. Like it's it's. Yeah. I mean, there. I can't believe after all the talk we've done about the Ultimate series, Wayne, Paul, you disappoint me that you would still be like, but it it looks pretty. <laughs> must oh, story bad. <laughs> but you know, if Art Adams was on Ultimate Spider-Man, I would still be buying Ultimate Spider-Man. You know, I do have a complaint about the art, though. The art overall was good, but I don't like the way they drew Kitty in this. Yeah, that was a little. I don't weird. know if it's the hair or the dress or what it is, but she didn't look right. You just were hoping for a hot kitty, and this is more like a realistic kitty. She looks, <laughs> she looks like Jennifer Grey in Dirty Dancing. That's how Kitty looks in this issue. That's disappointing. She's even got the Jennifer Grey nose. This issue, though, was everything that's wrong with comics. <laughs> All right, let's, let's start over. Let's, let's let's start by saying, um, uh, let, spoiler warnings on, because the big yeah. reveal in this issue is that the Wolverine type character on the cover that they've been using to advertise it is indeed the son of Wolverine. And apparently such a huge disappointment. I was really hoping they were going to go with mimic. Yeah. And so, but you know, he's just the son of Wolverine, but he, he has like the powers of Colossus as well. Cause he has the bone claws, but he can make them adamantium. What I predict, and I won't see it cause I won't keep reading the book <laughs> is I predict he has the ability to, I don't know, alter reality or something. I think his powers are going to be completely not what we're seeing. But because he thinks they should be metal, he can make them metal. Maybe. I'm not going to see it either. I I, yeah. I like, again, and I, and I know Jonathan, uh, you know, it's expected. Because the art is good, but it's it's Superman. I This book is Superman. He, he, he has parents who don't want to tell him his real life. There's something hidden in the basement that shows him. <laughs> You know, and a holographic image of Wolverine, <laughs> Jor-El, pops up, telling him his true origin. Being far more eloquent than we've ever seen Wolverine be in the Ultimate Universe. Yeah, I, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it either. I am, I'm not going to pick it up. And I, like I said, I, I love that Arthur Adams art. It is not. It is not worth it for me. I, I will. I'll read old Art Adams stuff instead of buying the new stuff. Yeah, I will go so far as to say I did hate this book. It is everything that's wrong with comic books. It is, <laughs> let's take the most popular character we've got, let's give him a son. Let's throw the son out there, give him his own book. Let's give him Superman's origin. Let's give him a mentor. Let's, yeah, everything is wrong with this book. But, you know, the Ultimate Universe jumped the shark about... <laughs> eight years ago. Ultimate when was the last three? <laughs> I'm sorry? Ultimates 3 was, was where uh, 
it where where the Ultimate Universe ended for me. Yeah, that's probably. You know, now bear in mind, I wasn't reading Ultimate Spider Man. I mean, I read it in trade, but I wasn't picking it up. At you know, in fact, I I got it from the library. I never spent any money on Ultimate Spider Man. But, you know, I enjoyed Ultimates uh, 1 and Ultimates 2. Enjoyed the heck out of Fantastic Four, Ultimate Fantastic Four. Enjoyed, yeah. you know, the Ultimate Enemy storyline and Ultimate Vision and all that kind of stuff. But, boy, Ultimate 3 uh, with, you know, the Jeff Loeb writing and the, I forget, the John Matter era. Yeah. yeah, and I just couldn't stand the art take on it. Yeah, that that was a real death knell. I mean, Ultimate Spider-Man after Ultimatum hasn't been good since. Yeah, I've just blech, blech. Now, I will say I was tempted by the Arthur Adams art because, you know, loves me some Arthur <sighs> Adams, but I did not pick it up. I did not. Jonathan, I'm telling you, on, I did not God, pick it up. Si- sirens leading you guys <laughs> to the rocks. I, am, I the only one, am I the only one who, like, strapped myself to the mask? <laughs> I think so. Let's, let's, let, let, let's just be honest, though. I, I love having Wayne on the show because but. you, <laughs> sir, are gullible. <laughs> Between Spider-Man and now New Ultimates, I, I just love hearing the hope in your voice crushed. <laughs> and then watching it get crushed. For this... It- for this title, my hope was uh, – I was hoping this would be Mimic. I was hoping it would be something completely different, something completely new. And I never would have imagined it was what I read when I actually opened this book. <laughs> you know, Wayne is like that child at Christmas who has opened all of his gifts. All of his gifts have been you know, shirts and pants. And he gets to that last box and he's hoping for the toy. He's hoping. He's praying. He knows it's going to be the toy he's looking for. And it socks. <laughs> You know what makes it worse in this case was Ultimate Enemy was actually good. You have one Ultimate title that's good, and then the next week there's another Ultimate title coming out. So you're thinking, okay, maybe they're getting their act together. No, no, they're not. And and, and I read Ultimate Enemy after our, the show last week, and I really enjoyed it. But my concern about it is that uh, I think it's easy to have a good first issue, you know, because you don't have to answer anything. Apparently this title doesn't agree with you. <laughs> Tell that to the Ultimate Avengers. Uh, yep. <laughs> Well, Wayne is like the kid on YouTube whose parents give him the Xbox box, and when he opens it, it's pajamas. And they videotaped it. <laughs> yeah. I oh, would Jonathan, so be that parent. <laughs> Jonathan had some ultimate news he wanted to share with us. <laughs> yeah. Um, and it's not really news now, especially with the previews coming out. Uh, but I originally I thought when they did this – quote, restart, hmm, unquote, <laughs> uh, that uh, there was going – that uh, the Ultimate Avengers was going to be an ongoing. And I was uh, very, very happy that, that I jumped out when I did uh, – when I found out, no, they're going to do the same Ultimates 1 and then Ultimates 2 thing that, that they were doing. Yeah. So that was, that was my news from my comic book guy. Yeah. I was like, oh. I think the the next Ultimates volume is by a different artist. And it, I think they're going to – is it going to be new Ultimates or is it going to be a different Ultimates – there's going to be Ultimate Avengers and new Ultimates, I think, at the same time. Really? Yeah, I think so. Maybe. Uh, I don't like that either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the Ultimate Universe. I don't know if I've told you guys. You know, I, it started off really strong and I just think it's it's been a little mismanaged. And I, yeah. I, one of the things that, I, that that really bugs me about it is that the Ultimate Universe used to have a really unique flavor, all on its own. 
And then you started seeing elements from the Ultimate Universe coming over to the regular Marvel Universe. And you cease to have a reason to have these separate universes if it's all going to start to look the same. Yeah, and now you're seeing elements from the regular Marvel Universe bleed over into Ultimates. Like, Wolverine's got to have a son now. It's like, oh, come on, like, we're, like, like, now, I have no problem with, uh, Dokken. Like, he is a cool character. I just, I just want to throw that out. Like, he is awesome. I do like Dokken. In a very... And this character is nothing like Bisexual way. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I, I, there's, there's just no need, like, you know, it's like what we said about, uh, Ultimate Avengers 1. It's like, oh, Captain America's on the run from the government great (laughs) the way that for instance that captain america has been drawn and represented in the ultimate universe is now pretty much how he looks over in the marvel universe yeah you know i mean and and we had that conversation about reborn where it's like where are we (laughs) you know is this a marvel universe story is this an ultimate universe story you know just because it's a bad story ah there we go (laughs) there's a story there Uh, well you know i don't know so the the takeaway is the ultimate universe is balls. Well, with the, I, I, I'm, I'm willing to, to get, continue giving uh, uh, Ultimate Enemy a, a shot because it didn't entertain me. Mm-hmm. So I'm on board for number two, and you know maybe there's actually something there. I don't know. I'm waiting for the crushed topes. Let's see how much of your money they get before they let you down. <laughs> <laughs> Wayne has influenced me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Well, a book came out this week that I have been so horny for for a long time. I have just have been excited about this book uh, ever since they announced it. Dwayne McDuffie's Milestone Forever returning to the Milestone universe that he created back Back in 1993, uh, with a bunch of other folks, that w- this is uh, one of two, 5.99 prestige format, beautiful book, and I, my only thing that I would say negative about it is that if you're not someone who has read Milestone characters previously, if you don't know who these characters are, do not under any circumstance pick up this book. Because there is no effort made to explain anything that's going on or who any of these people are. This picks up right from the end of the last Milestone stories and is wrapping stuff up. Because the these two books that will be coming out, the second one comes out next month, I believe, are wrapping up the old Milestone uh, storylines so that these Milestone characters can now be you know fully integrated into the DC universe. Um, I thought it was outstanding. I was just thrilled to read it from from one end to the other. The artwork is just beautiful. Reuniting uh, not just Dwayne McDuffie, who, like I said, was instrumental in the creation of these characters in the universe, but also bringing in the artist, uh, John Paul Leone and Mark D. Bright, guys who worked on this story from, from back in the 90s. And, you know, you look at some of these characters and they are exactly the way they ought to look. I mean, it, it's just a beautiful book. It's even colored, you know, the the, the, the paints and colors that are used in, in this book are exactly the same palette that they used back in the 90s on the Milestone book. Except with the much better quality of print. Oh, a- absolutely. That was always one of my issues with the old Milestone stuff is the, the print quality was never very good. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. I mean, the, the, the format that they chose to release this book in is just awfully pretty. I 
thoroughly enjoyed it from one page to the other. And it does seem like they've, they've pretty much wrapped up the storylines in this first issue. So it seems like the second issue is going to be preparing for, for the uh, move into the, the DC universe. So anyway, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Highly recommended. But if you, if you don't know these characters, don't waste your time until they start popping up in the DCU. Awesome. Well, last week we talked about Spider-Man. <laughs> and Wayne's forever hope that Spider-Man will get good again. And Jonathan had some words on that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, guys. Aaron, Paul, Wayne... If you'll pardon the pun, I've got to throw down the gauntlet here. Hmm. I threw it down when I read the one issue of it I read. (laughs) Uh, Well, all right. Spider-Man is a good... The Amazing Spider-Man is a good comic. I know it's had some stinkers. I know that uh, the Deadpool one-issue monstrosity... It was was enough to drop a title altogether, but the gauntlet has been really good. Paul, uh, you like you threw it down after the, what the electro thing? Yeah, yeah, I hated the electro yeah, well, story. I, I I did uh, well. I didn't why, even read the full like, electro story. I just read that first issue. I hated the art. I hated the story. I didn't see anything redeeming in it in the electro bits. I uh, well, I I don't. I never see anything redeemable in Electro's bits. <laughs> but maybe you've seen something different than I have. But important things are happening in the Spider-Man universe right now. Um, and I can't really say that about a lot of comics going on right now. We just talked about comics where it's like, well, it's the same thing. You know, it just seems like more of the same. You know, from an Eisner Award winner, no less. Spider-Man, things are happening. The Electro storyline was important. It it, you know, the the Daily Bugle building is gone through that through that storyline. Um, the Sandman storyline showed you something a little bit different as well, where you got to see Spider-Man not really win a victory, which I enjoyed. <laughs> I'm like, yes, Spider-Man lose more. The Rhino uh, storyline, even though it, that one was only uh, one issue, uh, progressed things even further. Uh, and, uh, this, uh, the Mysterio, and I never thought I'd say this, uh, the Mysterio storyline that they're doing has, has also been fantastic. Like, like, what are you, what, what, what's your guys' real beef with, with Spider-Man? Why aren't these good for you? Bad art, bad story. Don't like the direction at all. Oh, no. All right, well, suppose the story was good. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I can agree with you about the art, but I've also noticed an, a drastic improvement on the art since the 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 really bad uh, Electro and uh, Sandman arcs. Yeah, uh, those had really bad art, but it it has improved quite quite a I bit. I will give you that because I thumb through it every week, hoping that it'll get good again. And the art still disappoints me every week, but it is getting better. It hasn't been as bad as the Electro, but the Electro art was really, really bad, though. But if, if the Ultimates have taught us anything, it's that the art, <laughs> the art can be misleading. I have to have good art. I have to, yeah, it's like, 
you have to at least be attracted to a woman. You know, <laughs> just because she's smart doesn't mean she gets the date, the second date. You know, I can accept. I found that I can accept bad art if it's just bad, but if it's stylized and it's supposed to look like that, and I don't like it, I have a harder time with that. And I think that's what I'm seeing here. I think that they're intending it to look like that, and I, I don't like what they're intending it to look like. Yeah. No, I, I can agree with you there, and that's how I felt with the electro stuff. Uh, is that it looked like the old school Spider-Man comics. And, like, maybe that was sort of them wanting to throw back to that because what they're doing is re-envisioning a lot of uh, his villains. Um, I, I, I will say that despite the improvement in the art, Mysterio will just always look horrible. There's just no way around it. Except in the Ultimate Universe. What can you do? <laughs> He's got a fishbowl on his head. Come on now. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm just saying that, that you know, you, you guys have been dogging Spider-Man. And there, there are books out there that are not delivering as much as Spider-Man is. Three times a month, no less. I think you, you ask a fair question. What would, what, what would uh, make this right for you? Why aren't you liking it? So maybe we ought to ask another question. What if we were writing Spider-Man? Wow. That was an impressive yeah. transition right there. That was. <laughs> don't, don't mock. Everything, everything's going according to plan. <laughs> so, you know, what if we were writing Spider-Man? You know, I, I know that, you know, Paul and Wayne, you know, are both trying really hard to like Spider-Man and they've, they've not been successful. So, Paul, Wayne, which one of you guys wants to go first? And I would say Spider-Man needs full penetration. <laughs> it was funny in my head. Um, <laughs> and just disturbing outside of it. Yeah. Well, I should have said Mary Jane, not Spider-Man. That's what I meant. <laughs> Reading the J. Michael Straczynski run, and I would hardly say J. Michael Straczynski's run on Spider-Man was the ideal Spider-Man. But he had some great ideas that I think need to come back. Um I like Mary Jane in the title. I like the married life they live. Don't get me wrong. You know, I've read some of these brand new day storylines that involve, you know, romantic arcs with different characters in Spider-Man's universe. And none of them seem to feel as natural as the Mary Jane stuff. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so I, I think Mary Jane needs to be in it. I think they need to be married. I think Peter needs to be a teacher. You know, I I think the fact that Peter is a thirty-year-old teenager, I don't like. I think Peter needs to be, you know, a you know needs to be a little bit more responsible. You know, I like him being the teacher. I like him being the married man. I like Aunt May dead. Um, <laughs> you know, and, and you know you can get back to some you know some of the web slinging action instead of trying to make up, which is basically all they're doing right now is they're trying to distract us from the fact that Mary Jane's not. You know, they're trying to throw all this stuff at us to take us away from the fact that Mary Jane's not, you know, there. They're trying to throw all these new villains at us. You know, oh, look, Spider-Man can be modern. Spider-Man can be cool. Well, Spider-Man has a great rogues gallery. You don't need to revise them that much. Right. You know, they don't all need to be in black trench coats and things like that. You know, you just need good Spider-Man action. Like, you know, like we grew up with, you know. 
I, I, he's yeah. not a dark and gritty character. I don't need my art on Spider-Man to look like it was from a Vertigo book. You know, I want comic book art, you know, like something, you know, something akin to Red Robin <laughs> now, anyway. You know, a, a Red Robin number nine is a damn good Spider-Man book. <laughs> you keep trying to sell it, Paul. <laughs> That's my piece. I, I agree with a lot of that. I mean, I want Mary Jane back in the book. I want him married. I wouldn't mind him having a kid. Because like I said, I loved all of the Spider-Girl stuff. And I like anything that moves towards that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how I feel about the, the teaching bit. I do think he should have a job other than photographer. Right. And they do need to deal with a little more responsibility. But... Yeah, I would like to see a strongly developed supporting cast, which I know they're doing a lot of that now, but I just don't care for some of the supporting cast they have now because, again, they're throwing girlfriend after girlfriend attempt at him to try to distract us from Mary Jane. Well, I think so he I'm, and uh, you know Jessica Drew are going to hit it off. Yeah, they seem to have chemistry. This, <laughs> I don't think so. That's the big thing, though. I want to see the married life. I want to see them dealing with things that you would have to deal with in a married life. You know, as much as it was painful to watch him have money issues and how are we going to pay the rent and all that, I enjoyed those stories as well. I'd like to see a return to some of that, some of the struggling with life and not just struggling with, you know, the superhero aspect. Right. Yeah. And I don't, you know, the single Spider-Man stuff, And you know what's sad is if there was a character they were going to replace Mary Jane with, I'd be okay with it being Spider-Woman as like a regular fling. But, you know, the, some of the characters they've thrown at him, like Carly, um, who's, I guess, his current romantic interest. And I'm kind of tired of even the black cat. You know, I, I, don't get me wrong. You know, I guess that you know, that's how she started and all that. But, like, you know, they, they've been sleeping together on and off during Brand New Day. And it just makes me uncomfortable. <laughs> yeah, I'm done with black cat. I'm done with all the alternate costumes. I'm done with the changing costumes. There's a lot of the concepts I'm just kind of done with there. Well, I, um, I, I, I was kidding about Jessica Drew. I actually think she she is far too much woman <laughs> for Peter Parker. <laughs> and, and, and I don't say that I don't say that to be funny. I, seriously, I no. mean, she has got a lot going on. She is much. She's truly she's much more complex character than Peter Parker is than what we've seen. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that Peter Parker is a shallow character, but you know, Peter Parker is about staying home. You know, he really does want to be a, a homebody. He he wants to you know settle down with one woman. You know, even though that's not where the character is right now, that is that is core to his character. He is about family. You know, yeah. Um, Jessica Drew is not, and I you know they they might have some hot sweaty spider sex, but uh, <laughs> you know they're they're that kind of relationship isn't ever going to work for very long. Same reason that you know it's never going to work for very long with Felicia Hardy. You know. Uh, You've got to have somebody who, who who shares at least a little bit those same type of ideals. You hear that, what Peter I've Parker? Liked about her, oh, go ahead, what I've always liked about her is that she likes Spider-Man but doesn't like Peter Parker. Yeah. That was always an interesting aspect of Black Cat. The yeah. Whole, you know, when you're in the mask, I, I'm all about you. But when you're out of the mask, get away from me. Yeah. Now, you know, my take on the character – and I, I, I'm going to echo a lot of what, what Paul and Wayne have said is I, I want to see a restoration back to the original continuity. This whole, you know, brand new day stuff is for the birds, in my opinion. I would like to see Aunt May dead. Uh, you know, I mean, I don't know how much longer you can keep telling that story, you know, and you can. The, the reason why Aunt May works is that she is someone at risk for Peter. 
And you can still give him someone at risk by having him have a wife, you know, by having him have somebody in his life that he loves who is not or also a child. Yeah. Or even a child. And I'm, that is where I'd like to see the story go. The story was on track for him to continue, you know, growing up. And I understand Marvel's desire to tell stories where, you know, Peter is single. That's what you've got the ultimate universe for. That was the whole reason to bring in the ultimate universe. You know, you'd have a separate continuity. You could have him younger. You could have him single. You know, I keep seeing the best interpretations of Spider-Man over in New Avengers. I love Spider-Man in those books. I can't abide him in his own, in his own book simply for the fact that the, the direction of brand new day is just so distasteful to me. Um, I really want to see a restoration to that. And beyond that, I want him to, you know, get back to, you know, fighting more street level violence, you know, more street level crime. I want him to go back into his rogues gallery. Um, cause you know, those are great characters. Uh, I, that's the kind of Spider-Man that I like. That's the kind of Spider-Man I've always enjoyed. Yeah, and I miss the days when you'd have to come up with some sort of scientific solution well, to, and, to defeating the villains or outsmart him in some way. And his whole origin story, you know, he was in a, a science lab when, you know, he was bitten by the radioactive spider. He's always shown an aptitude for science. I'd like to see him not become Reed Richards, but spend a little bit more time being smart. You know, yeah. I mean, I mean, he was a teenager that invented webbing. Yeah, that that alone shows that he has potential in the science field. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he would be good on. And unfortunately, the team's ending. But you know, he he's on New Avengers. But you know what? He would be great on Mighty Avengers with characters like Hank Pym and Amadeus Cho. Oh, you yeah. know, those could be like the science Avengers. Really, mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the smart guys. And you know, so often they just forget that he's a smart guy. Jonathan has been very, very quiet, so I'm I'm very concerned. <laughs> uh, well, this might be a hard pill for you guys to swallow. I'm not swallowing any more um, of your pills, Jonathan. <laughs> that last one, you know, I woke up sticky. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> yeah, I swallowed a pill, and after that, I read um, Ultimate X. What? <laughs> Took some X and then read Ultimate X. I got you. <laughs> This comic feels really, really good. <laughs> this is the, this is the best. No comic has felt better. Huh. <laughs> uh, but uh, uh, I think that uh, I do not want to see it go back to the way it was. Um, I I like Mary Jane being gone. I don't like Mary Jane. Uh, I would like to see Aunt May dead. Um, but I really like some of the characters that I was unfamiliar with when I picked back up the title, uh, like his roommate and the, the sexual tension, uh, between them. Uh, I think that Spider-Man is a fan favorite, you know, that's why he's got a role on any Avengers team, but let's not forget who Spider-Man is and who Spider-Man is, is a loser, Spider-Man, Spider-Man is the is the heel of the Marvel universe. Like he's the only he's the only Marvel character who's lost more battles than he's won. And I, he has a losing and record. I absolutely agree with that interpretation. I, you know, I'm not saying that I want to see you know uh, Peter Parker you know living the big life. I just if you're what I dislike about what Brand New Day did is that it discounted everything that happened before. It was a wrong decision. 
It was a decision Aunt May would not have supported. You know, it it, it reinforces the fact that, you know, uh, this this old person's life who is naturally at the end of her life is more important than, you know, continuing with something healthy. I mean, it ne- it, that does not move your story forward. You know, the, the, Spy- the Spider-Man story in terms of the Aunt May dynamic is sitting right where it's always sat. And so I... Now, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, go well, ahead. I'd just no, like to ahead. see that resolved. And I don't have to have Peter married to Mary Jane, but I want them to deal with what what happened. I want them to deal with, okay, maybe they get a divorce. You know, maybe Peter Parker gets to be a single parent. I think that would be an interesting story. You know, uh, I, I, I just I'm just so dissatisfied with Brand New Day. Uh, that I, I just can't even approach the character anymore, other than in New Avengers. Well, I, and I can agree with you there, which is why if I took over Spider-Man, he'd die in the first arc. <laughs> okay. Well. Because you can't – I mean there's a whole lot of work involved in like trying to reverse the whole brand new day thing. And who need, who wants to put a retcon on right. a retcon? I say kill him. Peter Parker is an old character. He's been around. He's done a lot. And how many new stories are there really to tell? Uh, especially with the whole brand new day thing in place. He needs to die. Die. <laughs> wow. Well, you go from the defense of Spider-Man to kill him. Kill him. Kill the bastard. Well, because I, I think I think it would be good for the comic book. I think that... that uh, Especially now is the time when it would need to happen. Osborne is at the height of his power, and I I was thinking about all the Spider-Man villains. And I'm like, who would who would kill Spider-Man? It would have to be Osborne. Osborne before he before he falls from his position of power gets one victory. The death of Spider-Man. If anyone were going to kill and, him, Osborne would be a good villain to do it. I would have been happy with Venom back when it was a good Venom before it was the Scorpion Venom. What about Spawn? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and 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 let's let's not forget like the the whole the whole thing is that I when Spider-Man's with the New Avengers, I'm like Spider-Man's out of his league. This is not him. Like, I agree with Aaron. Spider-Man should be beating up street-level villains. And the Spider-Man villains, like his rogues gallery, those those were not world-changing right. guys. You know? You look at, like, the Scorpion, the Vulture, the Chameleon. I'm like, these, these are just super-powered street-level dudes. You know, I had some of those same and, issues when they were leading up into Civil War and all that stuff with Tony where suddenly he's... He's not the underdog anymore. He's now making a lot of money, and he's living in a mansion, and he has this new suit that's far more powerful. And I remember reading all those and thinking they're missing the core of the character. He should be the underdog. He should be a loser, and it's not – we didn't see that leading up to Civil War. So the 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 uh, the new Venom is, to me, no longer in Spider-Man's league. He's on the Dark Avengers now. He's a what? main villain. He's going to be fighting Captain America and Thor. Like, there's, like that's no longer Spider-Man territory. That villain has progressed beyond, uh, you know, hanging out in New York City trying to do stuff. So, yeah, Spider-Man, you know, Osborn is no longer in Spider-Man's league. 
And that's why Osborne would finally be able to kill him. And you take you you would definitely need a new Spider-Man, and I think that uh, the title would go to uh, Eddie Brock. I think Eddie Brock would be the new Spider-Man. And you know you don't have to worry about what Mary Jane's doing because Peter Parker's dead. Aunt May, Peter Parker's dead. Like you could really in. in invent new characters around Eddie Brock's life and progress the story that way as he is a villain who is trying to live up to the ideals of Spider-Man and it would just it would bring a completely different dynamic to the book so that you don't have readers sitting there like this is not the this is not this is not Spider-Man. Like you, that's what you guys have been saying. You guys have been talking about how this just this doesn't feel like, you know, when we grew up reading it. You know, you take you take a, a new Spider-Man, and then it doesn't have to feel that way. You can approach it from a completely different angle. And uh, in the uh, in the uh, Anti-Venom miniseries, you know, Eddie Brock has a love interest. And I think she's way more interesting than uh, than Mary Jane. See, that's Marvel calling up right now. Like, hey, we, we like this idea. Well, if they but uh, if they they've greeted it worse. You know, she's she's a uh, you know she's a junkie who's trying to kick the habit, and pretty much mirrors Eddie Brock in in that way, where he's. You know, he's murdered all these people, done all these evil acts, but he's trying to be a hero. And uh, and I think that there's a, a great dynamic there. Uh, I think that Eddie Brock as Spider-Man would make the whole Spider-Man's a menace thing uh, actually believable at this point in time. Because now it's just like, come on. Like... He's on the freaking Avengers, like yeah, but he's on those outlaw new like Avengers. How, They're outlaws. Oh, <laughs> yeah, but even before, even before that, you go back to the first trade, and it's just like, like it, rather rather than Spider-Man being uplifted by being on the Avengers and having his name cleared, it was the exact opposite, where all the Avengers were just put down <laughs> in the press because of associating with Spider-Man. I'm just like, this is ridiculous. You know, that's the one thing I like about uh, Ultimate Spider-Man right now is they've moved past that. Spider-Man's actually a character that everyone in the city realizes is a hero. That's about the only good thing I can say about the title right now, but it is one thing that they've done that at least I liked. Well, well, they they could keep the Spider-Man as a menace thing, but I and I think that Eddie Brock's identity should be out in the open. Like I think it should be known that Eddie Brock is the new Spider-Man, and you would have a lot of people, heroes, and uh, law enforcement, shield against it, and I think that would be great. Well, you know what? Kudos to John for coming up with the original idea. All of us are like, <laughs> if we were writing Spider-Man, we'd write him like he used to be written. And Jonathan is the one who's like, you know what? Screw you guys. I came prepared with my own idea. You know, and the book he described <laughs> is one I would buy if it were called Venom and didn't involve killing Peter Parker first. Because <laughs> I used to love Venom as a character. I used to love the Venom miniseries. I just don't like Max Gargan Venom. Oh, neither do I. Wait, oh yeah, and and 
like I said, Max Guardian is, you know, who cares about that? He's 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 in the big leagues now. We're talking about and Brock. You know, Eddie Eddie Brock. I, I'd buy that book, John. So I'd buy that book. So get on it. And and then and then <laughs> I would be on the same show where Wayne says this is everything that's wrong with comics. <laughs> the next issue because it might get better. <laughs> <sighs> and he'd convince me to do the same. Yeah. <sighs> <sighs> ah, shit, that's funny stuff. Okay, well. Uh, good stuff. What, good stuff. Good stuff. Good hustle, guys. Appreciate your work today. Uh, Paul, we got anything going on on the website this week? We don't um the unwritten contest is ending uh is actually over so stay tuned after the credits for the announcement of the winner of that contest um and actually i'll also put it on the website since it the um contest started on the website itself i mean there's always stuff going on on ideologyofmadness.com so you should check it out you know we've got the justice files returned this week um written by rob from the bear swarm podcast you know, and we're gonna have a new relapse eventually from Jonathan. Yeah, someday. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, let's see, we've got. And Wayne's interviews. talking about doing some writing for us. Yeah. Yep. If I can ever finish this uh, trade paperback, I've been going through. Yeah. See. Well, uh, you know, since uh, we don't currently have a contest uh, running on the website, I will go ahead and drop one. Uh, be on the lookout for that next week, and I'll just give you a tip: zombies. Interesting. Well, and uh, while you get ready for Aaron's contest, definitely keep checking out the site. And uh, if you're iTunes, um, if you're an iTunes listener, uh, iTunes keyword ideology of madness, because we've got interviews with Matt Fraction from Iron Man, Greg Hurwitz from Moon Knight, uh, Mike Carey from X Men and the Unwritten, Jeff Parker um, from Agents of Atlas and Follow the Hulks. We're just Throwing stuff your way. This is this is a, a chance for Jeff Parker to. Not he did actually. Yeah, he did anyway. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> even even worse than the first time, actually. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, I think he used the phrase "motherfucking cocksucking motherfucker." I think that was the phrase he used. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I know that uh, I know that uh, you know I'm I'm working with you guys now on a more permanent basis, but I. From a listener's standpoint, I can't tell you how excited I am about the Matt Fraction and Mike Carey interviews. Those are two writers that I really, really like. Cool. So. Cool deal. I am pumped. Well, cool. Well, guys, uh, on that note, we will bug on out and be on the lookout for uh, for more interviews and more funny book goodness coming your way. Thanks a bunch, guys. Thanks, everybody. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast.
Hi, this is Paul from Funny Books with Aaron and Polly, here with the winners of the Unwritten Contest. And the winners of the contest were going to receive a first-volume trade paperback of the Vertigo series, The Unwritten, written by Mike Carey. And um, all they had to do to enter was tell us about their favorite childhood story. Um, in my example, I my favorite childhood story was The Book of Three um, by Lloyd Alexander, um, the sequel of which was The Black Cauldron, which many uh, of you might remember from the Disney movie. Uh, we had three winners, um, and the winners are hard-traveling hero who says his favorite childhood book was the witches we had tom norris whose favorite childhood fantasy story was a princess of mars and we have aramond who said his favorite childhood story was voyage of the dawn treader congratulations to hard-traveling hero Tom Norris and Aramond, uh, I will be emailing you within the next week uh, to tell you how to get your prize. Thank you.